The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. The award-winning podcast that's never won an award. It's like if a camera flash had a sound. Join the conversation on our social media. Another fun-filled and exciting episode. You're listening to Just Some Podcast. And here's your host... Ben and Tom. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast for Advanced Practitioners. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom, man, how's your week going? <laughs> well... Well, a couple of things. First of all, just feeling a little under the weather, so I apologize for any miscues that may happen during the episode. I'm sure nobody will ever know about it. But honestly, great news. My sister had a baby. I am officially an uncle, and she delivered at one of the best medical hospitals in the country. So she's getting the best care possible. And it was a super exciting time. And I'm just really happy everybody's healthy and uh, happy at the moment. You're going to be that uncle that gets that kid in trouble, aren't you? No, I'm going to be the one, though, that he's like, Uncle Tom, is this true? And I'm going to be like, yep. Like, I'm going to be the one when everybody else is like, no, 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 everything's going to be fine. I'm like, nah, dude, you broke that. You're going to have to get that thing fixed. <laughs> like, I, I think I'm going to be the one that just sets him straight. I might get him in trouble by doing that, though. Like, when I'm like, nah, your dad's bullshitting you. You need to go back and tell him. <laughs> that might get him in trouble. Yes, yeah, that's the more the way that I see that you're going to be is the uncle that, you know, oh, hey, you know, I'm the cool uncle. We can do whatever. You know, we like, you know, taking the kid out for like, Hookers and blow at 14 or something. <laughs> uh, probably not. I'm not even taking myself out for hookers and blow yet. So <laughs> probably not going to be getting him down that avenue right off the bat. I, I do feel like I'm going to somehow be the uncle, though, that he feels like he can come to me about anything. And I'm going to be like, oh, this is awkward. Um, well, this is probably a better question for and trying to direct him to someone else. I just have a feeling that legitimately is going to happen, but. Uh, it's great. So far, he's like three days old. So I'm, I'll worry about that in you know 15 years from now. So well, all right then. Uh, so do you want to give our guest an introduction? Briefly, I figured you were going to give him an introduction. <laughs> all right, hey, that's fine. Hey, so we do have a guest on the show, Jeff. Welcome to the show, man. How's it going? Just fine. Thanks, guys, for having me. So you want to fill us in briefly on who you are and why we're talking to you? Just some random guy that we found, some homeless guy we paid 20 bucks to come on the show. Hey, 20. that's a hell of an idea, though. 20. <laughs> I was told 50. Yeah. Dang it. <laughs> that's, oh, inflation's already setting in on the uh, JSP. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, I'm a family nurse practitioner in the Midwest. Ben and I knew each other a little bit from AA&P, and we happened to graduate from the same school 
for our doctoral program, he managed to get in the uh, first course and I managed to do it, or I'm sorry, the first cohort, and I managed to do it full-time in the second cohort, but I did it from about nine hours away and had to drive in from time to time and uh, did a lot of it online while working full-time. I think I got done in, in, what, 18 months or so? How long did it take you, Ben? Yeah, about 18 months. But the big thing there was basically he was riding my coattails. You know, he was... Second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, his coat was really, really short, though. So. <laughs> well, you know, had to it was short. easy to stay off of it. <laughs> yeah, but you guys got the fancy acronym now. You can get that uh, mid-length white coat. <laughs> yeah, you have to make sure you get the right measurement for the facility, right? Exactly. I did see a uh, funny thing on Gomer blog. I don't know if you ever look at that, mm-hmm. Jeff, but mm-hmm. it was talking about how the uh, white coat is going to be replaced by the dry fit North Face or Patagonia jacket with embroidered uh, facility name on it. I was like, <laughs> and then two of the residents that came in to see my sister today, that's what they were wearing. I was like, yep, yep, here it is. <laughs> it's all true. And you got to make sure that you get the right initials on that jacket, too. You know, you, all the initials. Oh, they're going to oh, start yeah. inserting shoulder pads so that way, especially in nursing, we can get those initials, all of the initials that we've we've earned across the, the front of them. Yeah, I'm going to look like a NASCAR driver by the time we're done with all the stuff. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, that makes me real important. It, oh, it's on your shoulder? That's the super important acronym right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tommy, we'll jump into social media. How about that? Sounds like a plan. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Just Some Podcast. You can find us on the web, www.justsomepodcast.com, or email admin at justsomepodcast.com. Tom, what else can they do? First of all, they can give us a review or a rating on each of those uh, social media sites. Let us know how we're doing, even if it's one star. And then they can go to the Just Some Podcast website. Scroll down to the bottom. There's an affiliate link that will take you to Amazon. Do your shopping. It's free. It is easy to use, and it's very quick. It's only a couple seconds. And then everything you buy after touching that link will give us a proceed to the show. Just make sure that you add items to your bucket after using the affiliate link and uh, it helps us out. So we would really appreciate it. Tom, do you like saving money when you do CEUs? Boy, do I ever. Do you like having CEUs that are local? That's the best ones as far as I'm concerned. Well, if you're in the four-state area, the four-state area being Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, or Arkansas, Tom and I would greatly recommend that you attend the 13th annual four-state APN conference. They are going to have lots of great topics, and it is an affordable way to get CEU hours, and we all need those every year, right, Tom? Every year, whether we like it or not. And not only that, but Jeff, that is on our episodes, as well as Christine, is going to be presenting at this conference. Are you serious? Yes. People have already heard him on this show. They know they like him. So make sure that you go check out the website, 4state, that's the number 4, stateapn.enpnetwork.com to sign up. The conference is March 2nd, Joplin, Missouri. You want to jump into stories that we may have missed now? What do you think? I think that's the plan. I don't know much about the story, but I, I'm i just dying to hear it. Well, Tom. I, you're not going to put me to sleep with this story, are you? 
<laughs> but a ch- oh, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, come <laughs> on, Jeff, I can't throw it up any higher than that. So, <laughs> oh, he he was snoring. That's why. No, there was I was snoring. actually trying to adjust that strap. <laughs> For, yeah, do you have the full face mask or just the nasal prongs? So. I just feel like I'm suspended from a line. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Benny. Sorry, Ben. No, 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 no. You guys are good. So a new study that came out that sleep apnea may stop you from forming life memories. So there's a research study that was released fairly recently that showed autobiographical memory can be affected with patients who have OSA because of the low oxygen through the night. Well, it kind of makes sense, though, when you stop and think about the process. If you're not getting into REM sleep, how are you going to move memory from short and midterm into long-term? And your experiences during the day are going to occur while you're sleeping. More importantly for me, now I have an excuse. (laughs) Don't you remember doing this? No, baby. You know I got sleep apnea. (laughs) I I can't remember what I did. I don't even know who that person is. This doctor and her team, they examined, and it's a relatively small study, 44 people who had uh, OSA, and they were not actively treating it, and then 44 people that were without OSA. And the study revealed that the people with OSA had considerably more overgeneral memories than the people without sleep apnea. And they described overgeneral memories as memories that you can re- cannot recall in much specific detail. So there may be a link to bad memory and sleep apnea, but kind of like Jeff said, you know, if you're not getting that REM sleep, you're not converting memories over. So so with only 44 people, are they planning on doing a more comprehensive study? If you're going to validate it, you'd almost have to. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and this says in the future, they plan to determine whether successful treatment of sleep apnea can help counter some of the memory issues or even restore the memories that have been lost. It sounds like a decent premise for a pilot study, but actually uh, consider it practice changing and influencing data. I don't think you've got enough power in the study. Right. I would want to ask one of them just to see what happens. Be like, sir, do you, can you tell me anything you have forgotten? Just see what they say. <laughs> just like, watch their face. Just watch their face for about 30 seconds. Like, uh, what? Yeah, I need you to tell me something you don't remember. So go ahead. It's just. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I need something. It's not true or false, sir. Give me, give me something. <laughs> so. All right. Well, now that, now that we got, we got that out of the way. So Jeff, we know a little bit about you. So. You wrote a paper, correct? You want to tell us a little bit about how that came about? And let's just talk about the process of writing the paper. I wrote an article in 2017 that started actually as a class assignment in the chronic care management class. Do you want to tell us the name of the paper? The name of the paper was an update on type 2 diabetes management in primary care, and it was published in LWW's The Nurse Practitioner. It was in the August 2017 issue and was one of the featured CE articles. Which is awesome, solely just based on that. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Exactly. And the intention was, when I wrote it, it was springtime. And so when do we see a bunch of new providers entering into practice? Spring and summer. So the intent was to give some folks a quick, brief reference that they could turn to to answer quick questions and have a nice centralized resource for managing diabetes in primary care. And that was one of the assignments that we had in that course was to create a care pathway that we could share with other providers. When I got done with mine, I thought, you know, if an assignment's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. And 
which is basically how I handled every assignment I had. And I thought this might actually be able to go somewhere. So I didn't have enough on my plate between school and work. Yeah, so no. I started doing more research and fleshed it out. And part of what we do in the doctoral program is we look to publish our research, our, our scholarly project. And so I was already focused on what I was going to do with my project when I was done. And so I thought this might be a nice way to get a head start to kind of learn the ropes on it. So I fleshed out the article and looked around to see where I wanted to publish it. And the nurse practitioner journal tends to be one that you see floating around offices. They tend to, LWNW will offer that one to practitioners as kind of loss leader in practice, and they'll send it to the uh, clinic. Okay. So I thought that might be a good way to go. So I went to LWNW's site to try and figure out how to submit. And when you go to a journal's website, you can find author resources. And you'll find pages that say, okay, this is what you need to do to submit this type of article to this journal. And it has very specific guidelines for each type of article. And since mine was not a research article, it was more of a general information article, I followed that format. There are There's a, a standardized site that you can register on that allows you to use one set of credentials for multiple journal submissions. So if you're wanting to write an article for a different journal, you don't have to create a whole new ID. Right. That's the ORC ID, O-R-C ID okay. uh, website. It's also a way that you can sign up to become a peer reviewer for a journal. I wouldn't know that. Yeah. And actually, I have done peer review for the DMP journal. I've done, I think, one article there. And have kind of kept my name in that hat. But you don't submit, you cannot submit the same article to multiple sites. You right. have to, you have to make a choice and, and take your pick. So you, you write your article, you find your guidelines to submit, you discover that instead of APA format, despite it being a nurse practitioner journal, they want it in the AMA format. So you get to reformat all of your resources. Of course. <laughs> do Yeah. And recite everything. Why do anything simple? Wouldn't it make sense for practitioner schools then to potentially look at changing from APA format, especially if that's what journals aren't using? Or is it just, do you think it's just this journal or do you think... More journals use more of the other format than APA. They're going to use AMA because it saves space. Okay. It's plain and simple. When you think about what APA looks like in text, you've got names and dates in text. So you've, you're adding potentially one to two inches to a column. When you're printing something, that's money. Right, yeah. And space. So by being able to limit it to digits and then use abbreviated and standardized names and formats, you're able to save a ton of space. And that's one of the reasons that DOIs were created, save space and make it easy to refer back to a citation. So after redoing all that, I submitted my piece to the journal and you submit it in pieces. There's no identifying information in the manuscript so that it can be totally anonymous when it goes to a review. Right. In my case, I modified other material outside pre-published materials from the AACE and ACE. So I had to have copyright permission in order to use it. So I had to go to the AACE 
show them exactly what I wanted to use, how I wanted to use it, demonstrate that I was not trying to monetize it for myself, and then await permission for use. Once they gave that release, I had to submit that release with my manuscript to show that I had copyright clearance mm -hmm. so that the journal could publish it without having to risk copyright infringement suit. Right. I had to certify that it was all my own work and then wait to hear back on what they thought of the article and any revisions. So about a week later, uh, maybe 10 days later, I got the revisions. And one of the questions I was asked in the revisions is, why should we publish this? Uh, what makes this important? Because this isn't new research. Why does this matter? And so I gave the same argument that I gave you guys. This was my intention was to provide an easy resource and a quick resource for new providers in a journal that is widely accessible for providers who are coming straight out of school and into practice and don't have that preceptor that's right over their shoulder that they can turn and ask. Right. So because I said <laughs> wasn't a valid argument. I tried that in the back of my head, <laughs> but no, I don't think, I don't think that would have flown quite as, as high as one would have expected. Then they wanted some things that added. I really focused on the diabetes standpoint. They really wanted me to broaden the article and add in the lipid management guidelines and some of the blood pressure, the JNC8 guidelines for blood pressure management and incorporate that because that's a part of diabetes management where I was really just focused on the diabetes side of it and that disease process. So I had to do a little bit of revision and a little bit of addition. They caught some places where I had a citation that I had typoed the citation, so it wasn't really a truly valid citation. So those little pieces they found. And so I, you have a finite length of time to resubmit. You have to either resubmit or say, no, I'm not going to do it. Or you can pay a lot of money and try and get it published online separately. And I opted to make the revisions as suggested, resubmit, and then wait to see what round two of the revisions were. And there was not a round two. About a week after I submitted my revisions, I got an email saying that my article had been accepted for publication, which is a first-time author. It's a little bit unheard of to do first only one set of revisions. And I really, honestly, I had four or five revisions. I didn't have very many. And I think part of that stems from an old, old background as a secondary English education major. Okay. I was going to teach high school English at one point. And so writing has always been a little bit of a skill that I've, I've been lucky to have. And I think that that served me well in writing the article and not having to do a whole lot of corrections, whether grammatical or in word choice. So when you submit the initial manuscript, is there a word limit, a page limit? Do you remember what yours was? It really depended on depends on the kind of article um, okay. that you're writing. And, and honestly, I don't recall whether there was a word limit on mine. I don't think there was. And if there was, I was well enough underneath it. I wasn't concerned about it. Right. And so as Tom pointed out in episode one of this show, I'm not a math major. So, it, but it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was more than episode one. Well, yeah, it's been several times. Tom. <laughs> Tom. <laughs> uh, That's what I do. You're talking 25, 30 days from initial submission through what was your approval? Now, I mean, now obviously with some people, they may have to do more revisions. 
I think it was within three weeks okay. from start to, from submission to approval. And that's honestly, I think that was probably pretty quick. I know that on the piece that I peer reviewed, the author had 10 days or two weeks to make a decision whether to submit revisions or not submit revisions. And so if I'd had a lot of revisions to do, it would have taken me longer. But the reality is when I got my revisions back, I had them turned around within about, I, I want to say eight to 10 hours, I had everything wow. done and resubmitted. So from congratulations, your article has been accepted for publication. From, from mm -hmm. that point to publication, how long of a time frame is that? It can be as long as a year. They actually said that they were planning on publishing it in their August issue. Oh, because they told so you. So I, yeah, I submitted it in May, was confirmed. I submitted it mid-May, I think. Got notification that it was accepted for publication a couple weeks later. And I want to say the second week of June, just into the second week of June, they told me that it was going to be published in August. One of my questions is, and I know you said anything worth doing is overdoing, and we've all written research papers, especially if you're at the DNP level. Clearly, we've all done that. But did you go into it with a different mindset? Like, okay, I'm planning on having this published. So instead of just doing a research paper, I'm going to attack it from a different angle. Like, was there a different approach that you tried to use? I do a lot of clinical teaching. I take students almost every semester and sometimes have two students at a time on between various days. And so my intention with the assignment was to create something that I could hand to a student on day one and on day three, be able to ask them questions about patient management and have answers. That's cool. That was why I did it, to have that kind of care pathway that this is one thing I don't have to stop and talk about the whole time. My expectation is you have this as an assignment on day three, I'm going to ask you questions and you are helping me manage patients. My expectations is that you are able to apply this material. And don't try and fool me. I wrote it. <laughs> I know what it says. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So writing it, we we know we want to use like standard guidelines and stuff like that. Was there other materials that you knew you wanted to include or was that just stuff you found while researching? Both. Part of the assignment portion of it was to address pathophysiology. I am more than just a little bit of a science geek. I like the whys of, of medicine and pathophysiology. My philosophy is if I understand the whys, if a student understands the why, they can understand how to manage the disease and how to make medication choices, how to deal with problems that arise. So when I went to pathophysiology, I went beyond just beta cell failure, change in glucose uptake. I went down to cellular and chemical levels, actually really liked DeFranco's work and started there and looked at the different aspects and the different uh, defects with diabetes and why we make the choices we make for medications. Well, and I really like that in one part of the article where it says, you know, most people think they wear out, which isn't true. And then you kind of go further into, we're not exactly sure of the mechanism of action. And I was like, I think everyone's been guilty at some point of, you don't want to say nobody knows because that's not what the patient wants to hear. So I think that's maybe how those beta cells wear out 
came about. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting. You were like, that's not true. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I'm glad he just threw it out there. So let's just start using that. Well, and the reality is when you have the overexposure to free fatty acids and the deposition of lipids into the beta cell, you are destroying the beta cell itself and inhibiting its function. So it's not just the beta cells pooped out because it's 80% of them are gone and they only have so many, so much insulin that they're willing to secrete. And once they have secreted all of that, they're just done. You have to have a, a failed physiology. Just never made sense to me to say, oh, it wore out. Now, that being said, when I talk about sulfonylureas and how they work, I describe them as they as they stand on top of the pancreas with a bat and just beat it to death. <laughs> And so I can oversimplify things too, but, but that's essentially what the sulfonylurea does. You're just, you're just forcing that pancreas to continue to secrete insulin over and over and over again. Now, is that going to wear out the beta cell? Yeah, not necessarily, but you're really not, you're not treating the disease you're right. treating the symptom. Back to the article briefly. So you're published in August of 17. Uh -huh. So when were you notified that, I assume you were a nominee initially, or did they just say, hey, you won? I knew nothing about that. I was at work, and it was, I want to say, February-ish, 2018. And I got a call came across my cell phone, and I didn't recognize the number, so immediately I just let it go to voicemail. Right, yeah. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> I mean, that's what you do, right? Um, yeah, that's what I do. Nope, not talking to them. No. <laughs> And especially during the workday, I don't I don't have time for that. So somebody left they left a voicemail and it was the editor in chief of the journal and asked me to give a call back. They appreciated the article and wanted to discuss it with hmm. me. When she told me that uh, based on the data that they had, the number of times it had been accessed and cited and mentioned online that it had been selected as their article of the year, I was floored. I'm sure. <laughs> it was very humbling. For me, it was validating for what I intended it to be. I intended it to be an educational piece. I was humbled by the fact that they used it for a CE piece. That in and of itself, that they thought enough of it to, to use it for educating others. I appreciated because that was what I wanted it to be. Yeah. Yeah. That they felt it was important enough and that other people felt it was important enough and valued enough that they recognized it was, I don't, I don't even have, have the words for it. I was quite honored to say the least. That's a huge achievement. And to think that, it, yeah, it did exactly what you wanted to do, but to think the number of people that you helped educate number of practitioners you helped educate because of the number of times that it was accessed is just awesome as well. Yeah. And I think that's part of what we strive to do as nurse practitioners. We've been nurses first. And part of what we do is we teach, whether we're teaching students, whether we're teaching patients, whether we're teaching family members, part of what our delivery of care is, is delivering education. Yeah, absolutely. And so that to me is part of the ultimate reward that we have in providing care. And, and I'm glad you pointed that out. That is one of the things I'm finding when I'm educating my patients on something, even though it's usually quick in the walk-in setting, I'm explaining to them further things that need to happen. 
And they just look at me. I'm like, has no one discussed this with you before? And they usually give me a blank stare. And yeah. I'm like, okay, well, let's go over some of the things that we need to be talking about. So I just think that's amazing that it got recognized for what it was. I too, Jeff, am waiting for recognition uh, from the Nobel Peace Prize Committee. So I knew you were going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I feel your pain. Okay. I, I just so, I'm still still sitting here waiting, and uh, no phone call from from a foreign country yet. So, so, but my question for you on that one though, is <laughs> how is it peace? I don't, I don't care. That's just what they call it, bro. <laughs> okay. It's just, okay. it's just the technicality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want um, something. It be so science? Because, the Nobel prize for science. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still called the Nobel peace prize though, but it's going to be for, uh, <laughs> for, yeah, I think it's, it's science. I don't know. I'll have to look up what they're going to give me. Okay. It's either going to be for like healthcare or for science. Uh, maybe if they're just, fucking awesome is just a title in there i'm sure i'll get that one but i really need this because it would look good on my i'm also since you guys are dnps now you know you're above this fray but i'm still in the process of applying for dnp school and so that would look really good on my uh cv if they could just hurry this up whatever you say there huckleberry (laughs) i just i I, I already got a, a tuxedo rental like just lined up so i can fly over get the award Boom, I'm back. Slap that down on the CV, and uh, there you go. I mean, that's pretty good. And we go to work the next day and take care of a cold. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> but I'm going to be doing it. I'm going to have, like, because uh, I don't think the metal itself actually has a ribbon. Like, I think it's, like, in a case. And I'm going to be the first one to, like, have somebody attach, like, a little thing so I can wear it around my neck, like, Flav of Flav. And be like, nope, that's a peace prize. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> and, no, and no, Mrs. Jones, you don't need a Z-Pack for a sneeze. But... <laughs> And I know that because I have a peace prize and just walk off. There you go. Have a nice day. Well, on that note. Let um, me help you with your Sudoku. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, I still can't play, but I know I figured something out. So there you go. I'm still waiting for that call. Uh, On that note, so Jeff, do you, uh, you know, your article of the year award, do you you wear that around your neck like Tom would? (laughs) (laughs) I, I thought about it, but no. (laughs) <laughs> in fact, I, would, I would have a copy of every of the, like the article that says author of the year and attach it to every discharge notification here you go click just so you know author of the year treated you today like have it plastered on the front window when they're walking in so you know jeff's that's seeing you author of the year like every time so so funny story the employer i am with now when i changed practices they did a mailer to advertise for me coming there and they used that they didn't say specifically what it was but they used award-winning author in there and they mentioned that i enjoy managing diabetes and managing obesity and they mailed it to everybody in three counties wow can i tell you what my practice consists of <laughs> i want you to but i got a good guess a lot of of very challenging patients. Some of them are very successful, and it's not anything that I do other than present things differently and hold them to hold them accountable in a different way. I'm sure I'm not telling them things that they haven't heard before, but I'm telling them things in a way that they're hearing differently. And so I've got some good successes. I've got some people who really don't give a darn who come in and I'm supposed to fix them. And one of the preceptors I had once told me that he told patients that he can't 
he cannot work any harder at their health than they do. And that stuck with me. And I, I tell patients that, that, you know, I can work as hard as you you do and will, but I can't work harder than. I like that. Yeah, I really, that's, so Tom, before we get into diabetes, which is the other reason we brought Jeff on the show, you're also a published author. Yeah, not, not award winning. Not award winning. But... <laughs> we would hear about I it showed you. week. <laughs> oh, See, if that was true, that would be the picture for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But so my question, Tom, is um, the process that Jeff laid out as far as submitting the manuscript, was that very similar to how yours was? Yes, it was, uh, especially like the revision or asking me questions. I think I had to do that twice, but it wasn't like the second round was a lot more of the pertinent. My article was a lot less informative and more of an opinion piece. Believe it or not, I tend <laughs> to speak my mind. What? I'm shocked. No. I'm shocked. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, I just saw – I went to a lot of trauma conferences. And I just saw how we did things, especially at the like the level three level. And I was like, there's got to be a more efficient way to get our training budget for trauma nurses at this level. And that's kind of what mine was. Like I didn't have a lot of hardcore data. It was more of a observation and then having to research – some just general information to be completely honest. It was more like, Hey, these are things that are known or these are things that we see in general. And this is how I think as a trauma program manager, we can do things. And so my revisions and my questions were probably very different than his, but yeah, it was the same process. Like you submit, they ask you some questions, you go over some stuff. And then one day you get a letter and you're like, did they actually read this? Are they? You sure you want to put this out? Because I don't feel like I'm qualified enough. I, at least that's how I felt when I wrote it. That, I was like, oh, wow. Like, I can't believe people are actually going to read things that I wrote. That is exactly <laughs> – that's exactly what went through my mind. I I go back and I've I've read that before when I'm, I'm working with a student. And I keep – there are parts of me that can't believe that I wrote that. Because you get into you get into that frame of mind, and you know what you're wanting to say, you know how you need to say it, and you find the right voice for your audience. And so, it yeah, it's going back and reading it is stunning sometimes. I think one of the coolest experiences, and then I'll I'll stop talking about it. For me, was several months, maybe a year or two later. Like I don't have an exact time frame. I actually got an email that was like, "Hey, I'm doing a school project." And I am writing it and I am citing you and here are some questions like what is your opinion on this, this and this now on training or something like that or how would this be different at these different levels? And I was like, holy crap, somebody mm-hmm. somebody actually took the time to read this and then find out who I was. I felt a little bad because it was for like some school paper they were doing and it took me a minute to get back to them, but it was Honestly, humbling would be the best thing. Like, holy crap, I can't believe somebody yeah. actually paid attention to that. So I totally get that. But I've read Jeff's article, which I thought was amazing, by the way. But his is way more technical, and mine is more – this is why I think you're wrong. So we probably had some different aspects, but it was in general the same, yeah. But you know, Tom, that's the same way we feel about the podcast every week. Like, like we're 20 I'm pretty sure I <laughs> – Yeah, I'm pretty sure we say that, though. Like, you can hear me in real time going, are you people insane? Like, someone's actually listening to me in Japan right now, 
And I don't know why. So <laughs> that's except for Ireland, because I found out through DNA I'm part Irish. So I know why you're listening, Ireland. Yeah. But the rest of the world don't have a clue. So Yeah, we're we I looked this morning, which I know by the time this comes out it'll be a different number, but we're at almost nine thousand downloads for total episodes. That's pretty impressive. What I still sit back and go, I cannot believe my family has downloaded this podcast that many times. <laughs> so that's <laughs> way to go. My mom and my aunts are working overtime. They don't even know what an iPod is, but they're downloading this shit. And they are just listening like the wind, my friends. And if anybody's going to support me for that Nobel Peace Prize, I'm sure my mommy will write a letter. Yeah. <laughs> so Tom, You'll be okay there, Linus. <laughs> so, Tom, where was your article published? What what journal was your article published in? The uh, Journal of Trauma Nursing okay. by the Society of Trauma Nurses. And like I said, it's it's just a very brief, like general opinion piece. It's more like, a, I mean, I guess it's akin more to a letter to the editor, but it's basically saying, "Hey, rural trauma is a thing, and these are some of the things I think we should be doing to improve our practice." And I think I just, honestly, I think part of mine was not a school issue. It was a, they put out a thing saying, hey, we're looking for some more rural trauma articles. And so I, I was at the right place at the right time. And I wrote an article on rural trauma and, but it did, it did lead into other things. I ended up help form the national task force for the society of trauma nurses on uh, workplace violence. And that's kind of how I got into it as I submitted that article. And then they were like, Hey, what do you, and I was like, Hey, I also do this. And so since I was already talking to him, it just kind of rolled over into the next thing. So it worked out for me, right place, right time. And that's, I think, I think you hit it on the head there. Part of it is just being in the right place and finding whatever material that you're submitting happens to be something that they're looking for. It fits whatever theme that they have for the, for their journal for that time or an upcoming theme. So it's just a piece that fits. And if you don't have that, I think it can sit on their shelf forever. Yeah. And honestly, that would be probably the number one piece of advice. If anybody did ask me, that would be, where are you going? Like, <laughs> like I would be very selective on where you're going to. And I know that seems silly, but I bet you there's a lot of people that are sending in articles to Rolling Stone and they're like, what, what is, what is this article on? You know? So I think it's the right place, right time, right topic. And if you happen to be that person, I do believe luck is a factor. I mean, I, I truly honestly do. I mean, it can't overcome poor writing or anything like that. But at the same time, being at that right place, right time is a critical factor where it felt like it to me. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that other piece. Your submission has got to be, has got to have at least some grammatical and structural backbone. It can't be a mess when you submit it because right. for starters, reading it to review it can't understand it. And then it's the qual the quantity of work that has to be put into it to edit it and then yeah. revise it. It's got to be good to begin with. Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't think mine was that well-written and I'm not just saying that I'm just like, Oh, I look back after writing even more papers for my masters. I'm like, Oh my God. But I also think, part of for me like i think while i was reading jeff's his is just so well put together i'm like wow like i can see why this is used as a teaching tool for somebody that's writing something more like mine i would say what are you presenting that's new like anybody could have just said well we need a bigger budget well 
duh. Like Greg said a couple episodes ago, if you give me enough money, we could be on the moon. Like that's not a right. that's not a game changer. I came out and said, okay, don't give me more money, but give me the freedom to train my nurses in a very different atmosphere or training modality, and let's see the the effectiveness I can bring about. And I think that was part of also what they're like. Oh, so this isn't asking for more money. Because everybody just needs more money. It's how to use your money differently. And so it kind of gave that different aspect. You got to come in like Errol Flynn and uh, make all your changes. <laughs> and you know, you know, biggest change you're going to make? Winning the Nobel Peace Prize. Okay. So <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh, God. That's, uh, to me, that is still just hilarious. And someday when I have that, I'm going to be like, oh, oh, Ben, I'm going to be looking at you in the front row. And I want you to wear a like sky blue tuxedo, like a Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> with a ruffle shirt. I'm like, that's my boy. He didn't believe I could get here. So. I tell you what, Tom. I as we stand here broadcasting to the world, if you ever <laughs> win a Nobel Prize, legitimately, <laughs> I will dress in the sky blue tuxedo with the ruffle shirt and be in the front row. You need to hold up. I like Ben. You need to hold up a sign saying, "Way to go, Bambi." <laughs> I, I swear to God, I like the fact that you added the word legitimately. Like I was going to go streaking across the stage, just grab the metal and take off running. Laid out some clear parameters on me accepting the award. We thank Jeff for being on the show. Had intentions of kind of doing a diabetes episode, but we talked so much about the mechanics of writing a paper and getting published that we kind of squeeze that all into one episode, right, Tom? Yeah. Writing a paper is a really interesting topic and I don't know if we had ever planned on covering it before, but Jeff did such a great job and it's really important to us as a profession that we are, or I think it's important to us as a profession that we make sure we are becoming experts in our own field. If that makes sense, that, we are doing everything possible to push ourselves uh, further. Yeah, and who better than to talk about it than the author of the year for 2017? I mean, that's a prestigious honor, and I feel honored that we were able to get him on the show. Clearly, he knew his topic inside and out. I can't wait till people hear the diabetes episode because we really go beyond just, oh, if they have this, you do that. I mean – he really broke it down really well. So I think it's important, though, that people get to hear this side of it as well, because like you said, this is a prestigious honor. And to be able to explain you know, what he went through to get it out there, I hope just inspires other people to do the same. I'm looking forward to the diabetes episode one, maybe two, depending on because we really did uh, go in depth. Obviously, we're recording this after we've recorded that, but we ended up talking for almost two and a half hours, which I think is probably the longest time and I have ever talked. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least for this podcast, for sure. Oh, yeah. So, and no alcohol involved, <laughs> but, uh, let us know what you think of this episode. Have you been published? If you have, let us know. Uh, we'd love to read your stuff. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all at just some podcast, our website, www.justsomepodcast.com. Or you can email us, admin at justsomepodcast.com. And remember, 
Give us those ratings, those reviews. Give us the feedback. We want to know how we're doing or what we can do to make the show better. If you do decide to use Amazon for shopping, not that anyone's used this little-known website, but if you do, we have an affiliate link at the bottom of our webpage. Just click on that when you do your shopping. It would really help us out, and we'd appreciate it. And I think next week, Tom, uh, we were talking kind of pre-production of the ending of this, (laughs) that we may possibly be doing a heart episode for valentine's day well we're kind of sappy guys so when a holiday comes up we love to try and do something related to that field you know it just makes uh listening fun or doing the show fun as well so yeah i think that'd be really interesting to do some heart health and what goes into it and it was actually suggested by a listener they were like hey you know what when you think of valentine's day you think of hearts so uh shout out to jessica for that for giving us the idea to do a heart episode so i think we'll get that under wraps and out to you. And then after the hard episode for Valentine's Day, we are going to have Jeff back and we will be playing the diabetes episode or episodes, depending on how it ends up on the final cutting room floor with, with Kyle. And we'll see what producer Sam lets us get away with. It's uh, always hard to tell with those two. They are real slave drivers. Yeah, aren't they though? Yeah. But on that note, we uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. And this has been, have a great week. And stay safe out there, everyone.